0: Welcome to the 24-week lecture series by Dr. Avraham Giliati: Dreams, Visions, and Near-Death Experiences Compared to the End-Time Prophecy of Isaiah. This is Lecture 22, End-Time Zion and Babylon. I'd like to welcome you all to uh, class this evening. So good to see you all. I also want to thank all those who are helping to make this a success such as uh, Robin Young our secretary and Mike and Nancy who are setting up the, the cameras and the sound equipment and I also want to congratulate you on you guys staying the chorus because some it, t- it takes quite a bit to just see this thing through and you know to persist with uh, wanting to know more and study the scriptures and these ideas and uh, I'm really delighted to be able to help put some of these concepts together from different scriptures and show how they work in the scriptures. So, this is about the um, end-time Zion and Babylon showing kind of the contrast between the two, and you see that in Isaiah a lot, especially in my book, The Literary Message of Isaiah, which shows how Isaiah structurally kind of juxtaposes Zion and Babylon. And you don't see that in the um, in the writing prophets very much, not in the historical prophets. You see it in apocalyptic literature, the contrast between Zion and Babylon, and you also see it somewhat in the Book of Mormon. One of the main chapters on Babylon in the scriptures is Revelation 18, which kind of gives a rundown on what Babylon is in the New Testament context, which draws a lot, by the way, on the Book of Isaiah, on chapter 47 of Isaiah, about Babylon. So he says, I saw another angel come down from heaven, Having great power, the earth lit up with his glory. Isn't that amazing that an angel can light up the whole earth just with his glory alone? I think that's pretty fantastic. So when we eventually become exalted beings, you know, we may have light up the earth with our glories as well someday, right? And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, "Babylon the great, or great Babylon." In Isaiah, you have. It doesn't say Babylon the great. But it establishes structurally the idea of a greater Babylon that incorporates all the nations of the earth, all the wicked evildoers of the world. Everything, in fact, that is not Zion becomes part of this greater Babylon. So the concept is already there embedded in the book of Isaiah of this arch entity. And you have, you have it also in fairy tales where the, uh, the wicked witch or the st- ugly stepmother, she is kind of that... Archetype in fairy tales. So, teaching fairy tales to children is a wonderful idea because it has all the archetypes of Isaiah and the scriptures. Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. And the, the higher it rises, kind of like an upside down pyramid that's very narrow at the base. It's an unstable structure, and the more the elite gain power, the more dangerous the whole structure is to falling. Whereas Zion is, is a regular pyramid shape where the, it's a, based on a rural economy not this artificial, idol, idolatrous economy that Babylon is. So the higher it rises, the greater it falls. It has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and abominable bird. And that's also in Isaiah. For all nations have drunk for the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The wrath of her fornication because, as you'll see here, the whole economy of Babylon is a celestial economy, and... It's oppressive to society. It's an economy where predators thrive and the weak are suppressed and persecuted, exploited. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the abundance of her delicacies. Because everything is so perfect in Babylon, right? It's so sophisticated. It's so delicious. It's so, well, just go to the supermarket or go to the department store and you'll see it all there all the wares of Babylon so enticing and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people my people are the covenant people it's the covenant formula my people your God that you partake not of her sins that you receive not of her plagues or the consequences of her oppression and her injustices and her bloodshed and everything those are covenant curses and there comes a time when yes you have to live in Babylon because that's the celestial society, right? But there comes a time you get out when the iniquity of Babylon is full and it's time to get out of there before God's judgments come upon her. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has re- remembered her iniquities. It's when the iniquity is full that this kind of society breeds. It breeds more and more iniquity. And when it's full, the rising generation has nowhere to go but to... They can't rise above it. They're not able to, so it's better to make an end of the whole society and start over. Reward her even as she has rewarded you. Double to her according to her works. The cup that she filled, fill it to her double. As much as the cup that she filled that she gave you to drink of this wine of Babylon, this delusional society that entices you with material things rather than with the things of God. As much as she has glorified herself, so... This society is into self-exaltation You know, the survival of the fittest The strongest are the ones who rule And they oppress the others And she has lived deliciously Because in a worldly ideal All all the luxuries of the world And travel and all that Those are the ideals Those are the things that People who subscribe to her economy And her philosophy Those are the things that they value and, and, And are proud of so much torment and sorrow give her. So exaltation leads to humiliation, right? And and that's the nature of Babylon and the king of Babylon, and all who associate with Babylon and are part of that mindset who exalt themselves now are going to end up humiliated and fall. But those who are humiliated now in the cause of Christ for their testimony and so forth, they will in the end be exalted. So the reverse happens is there's a reversal of circumstances in that day for she says in her heart I sit as a queen I'm no widow well guess what Isaiah says she's going to be widowed and she sits as a queen right now but she's going to go into the dust whereas Zion rises from the dust and becomes a queen and sits on her throne it's in Isaiah you see this this reversal and I shall see no sorrow therefore shall her plagues come in one day death mourning and famine she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived deliciously with her will bewail her and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing far off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour did your judgment come. Now you can imagine a nuclear holocaust. If it was all launched worldwide at the same time, in one hour, this whole economic system of the world would come crashing down, be no more. Not to mention probably preludes to that where the economy starts going down. But when that time comes, there is no more economy as we know it today. In one hour it can happen but with today's technology is what I'm saying. Then there's that great city. Well, in the the book of Isaiah 2 you have two cities. One is the city kind of symbolizes the whole conglomerate. It's a multinational conglomerate and it's Babylon and it's the world and it's, say, the telestial world and and in contrast to it there's the city of Zion so there's two cities there's also two women the adulterous wife the current wife and then the virgin Zion who remarries the Lord and there's also two covenants associated with it the covenant of life and the covenant of death so you have this juxtaposition with the city idea Babylon and Zion the two cities They're really collective entities, but they are kind of epitomized by these two cities. It's not necessarily one city. It could be maybe New York could exemplify Babylon in that way. New York City as an example of modern life and all the trappings of Babylon are are there. But it could be any city or the whole conglomerate, as I mentioned. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, of pearls and fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, threya wood and all kinds of vessels of ivory, the most precious woods of brass, iron and marble, cinnamon, perfumes, ointments, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep, horses and chariots, slaves and the souls of men. Well, you know, a generation ago, people didn't think of slaves, but slaves are everywhere now in society and the souls of men. Some people are in such bondage that have no way of getting out. They're made and turned into slavery, as you read about it. It's everywhere now in the world. The fruits your soul lusted after have gone from you, and all things that were dainty and goodly have gone from you. You will find them no more at all. Because this whole thing shifts to another kind of economic paradigm, that of Zion, which is a rural economy and is very stable at the base. The merchants of those things who were made rich by her will stand far off for her fear of her torment. Well, so would you if it was a nuclear blast, right? You wouldn't go, want to go in the middle of that or the after effects of it. Weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, this is second mention of it, so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all ships, crews, and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood far off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What was like this great city? You know, their hearts were so attached to Babylon, they could not imagine, conceive of any society other than the one they knew that they prospered in. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, Alas, alas, that great city which enriched all who had ships at sea because of her costliness everything costs in Babylon just go down to City Creek and go to these franchises and see how much things cost I mean there you have Babylon in her element right for in one hour she's made desolate that's the third time one hour is mentioned so it's emphasizing that isn't it it's all over in just an inconceivably short time like Sodom and Gomorrah had always been there suddenly they're gone in one hour yeah in one hour she's made desolate Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her, because they oppress the people of God. I mean, the the society, Babylon, its people, oppress the society, oppress the people of God, the prophets and apostles. or Anybody who had a testament of Jesus becomes the target in that society. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, thus with violence will that great city Babylon be thrown down and be found no more at all in other words it goes into the dust into chaos into a non-entity she exists no more it's over the celestial world is gone and the sound of harpers and musicians of pipers and trumpeters all these concerts we've been going to will no more be heard in you at all and no craftsman whatever craft he is will be found in you anymore and the sound of a millstone will no more be heard in you at all The light of a candle will shine no more in you at all, and the voice of the bride and bridegroom and bride will no more be heard in you at all, at all, at all, at all. Your merchants were the great men of the earth, and by your sorceries all nations were deceived." Well, sorceries, really? Yeah, think about it. When you think of how we're duped by this society and it's the only way we can survive and all of that rationale, then yes, it's sorcery. No, we don't, we can live differently. We choose to. We can live spiritual lives. The Lord will find us a way, but we have to give up a lesser law before the Lord blesses us with the blessings of a higher law, right? The problem is we're not willing to give it up. We're not willing to give up a lesser law. We stick to what we have and are comfortable with it. So after a while, it becomes kind of a sorcery to keep us in that state. All nations were deceived. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. Jeremiah 15. So in his day, Jeremiah's day, Babylon was still a world power, which was also the time of Lehi and Nephi. But they couldn't call it Babylon, as I mentioned last time. They could only call it by some other name. So they called her the great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth. Same entity. Because all that is not Zion is Babylon. And if you're not part of the great and abominable church, then you have to be part of the church of the Lamb of God. Because of the wrath of Jehovah, it will not be re-inhabited, but it will be entirely desolate. Everyone who passes by Babylon will be astonished and hissed at her at all her plagues. We have never experienced this, except maybe the Japanese after the two nuclear bombs there in Japan. And if you pass by her, pass by those two places, you know what would you see, all this desolation? Well, you better not go too close. You get plagued by her plagues yourself, but that was an astonishing destruction. That was only small fry compared to what's going to come. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows or missiles in this case, for she has sinned against Jehovah. Shout against her round about. She has given her hand, given her hand what to the false god, to the devil. Her foundations have fallen. From the very foundations now She's going to be rocked and, and destroyed Her walls are thrown down For it is the vengeance of Jehovah Or the day of vengeance of Jehovah It's called the day of the Lord in the scriptures Or the day of vengeance, either one Take vengeance upon her As she has done, so I do to her Cut off the sower from Babylon And he who handles the sickle In the time of harvest the Time of harvest, Now oh, that's interesting Because it could be that this happens then At the time of harvest This destruction. So the prophet is giving us a clue. That's also in Isaiah. It's about the time of the 4th of July celebrations, for example, which is about the time of the wheat harvest. For fear of the oppressive sword, they will turn everyone to his people and flee everyone to his own land because people are displaced in that day and they come from all over and work in different places and not in the hometowns where they came from. So danger threatens they will head home. And you'll see that now in Europe When the economy of Europe is crashing Where are the people that came to the cities Where are they going Back to the farm right? Back to their parents even Isaiah 47 This is speaking of Babylon The whole chapter is devoted to Babylon We don't have time to quote it all Secure in your wickedness You thought no one discerns me No one discerns this economic system for what it is It's so subtle That's why it's called fornication And so forth It's imperceptible almost. No one discerns me because they're all into it, all buying into it. And so they're blinded by by the spiritual blindness because it's a substitute for God. It's a substitute for the divine economy. The idols of Babylon are substitutes for the true God. And so, of course, you're going to be blinded and don't see the mess you're in and, and the danger you're in. By your skill in science, it's an economy, it's the whole scientific, the industrial, complex and the industrial revolution you are led astray thinking to yourself I exist and there is none besides me now what does that smack of? that smacks like self aggrandizement to the utmost where she thinks she's God because the Lord exists and there's no, there's no savior beside God there's no God beside God right so she's taking assuming these divine attributes and acting as God which is in opposition to the true God catastrophe shall overtake you which you shall not know how to avert by bribes with everybody is in bribe, into bribes in that society but not this time it won't do you any good the disaster shall befall you from which you cannot ransom yourself no matter how much money you have to pay, pay people <coughs> off they shall come upon you sudden ruin such as you have not imagined where from? from God well actually it's from it's other powers world powers military powers But it's the Lord who's orchestrating all of this. In Isaiah 21, this is the prophet speaking. And he sees it ahead of time. And he's the prophet that the Lord appoints because the other prophets are not seeing anything. So the Lord has to appoint a new prophet who does see things. I mean, he does see and hear things. He's to report what he sees, unlike others who don't report anything. A grim vision has been revealed to me, the traitor and the act of treachery, and this, in Isaiah, is the Antichrist, the king of Assyria, or the king of Babylon. The destroyer laying waste, same guy. Attack, at Elamites, lay siege, you Medes. This is the Assyrian alliance in Isaiah. It's equivalent of the Assyrian alliance that overthrows Babylon. You see it in chapter 13 of the book of Isaiah. All the sign that she, Babylon, has caused, I will bring to an end. All the oppression, all the... The broken hearts, the, the no way out, the misery, the, the poverty, the loneliness, the ugliness of Babylon, all the yuckiness of the whole system that has just oppressed humanity for so long. The Lord is going to finally bring to an end, bring the whole celestial world to an end. Now they come, cavalry and teams of horses, or tanks, whatever you're equivalent today, and he gave the reply, She has fallen. Babylon has fallen. it happens very quickly because of the technology of the weapons. Then from Isaiah 14. I will rise up against them, says Jehovah of hosts. I will cut off Babylon's name and remnant, its offspring and descendants, says Jehovah. I will turn it into swamp lands, a haunt for ravens. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says Jehovah of hosts. And that word to sweep, he makes a clean sweep of it like with the broom of destruction. There's nothing left. When you sweep your kitchen, right, all the dirt's suddenly gone. And it'll be swept clean. Now also, in the Book of Mormon, in Ether, you have Shiz, was kind of an Antichrist type, and, and Coriantibur and those guys, they were there. They were fighting these great battles at the end of their the nation, end of the Jerodite nation's history. And Shiz, he sweepeth the earth before him, it says, who can stand against Shiz? He's so powerful And his armies are so powerful And that's, that's a type here for, for the king of Assyria Who will sweep the earth He's the broom The Lord wields Isaiah 13 Babylon the most splendid of kingdoms The glory and pride of Chaldeans The highest ideal The most sophisticated society that ever existed Shall be thrown down as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah And don't forget God's people are part of this chapter 1 of Isaiah Isaiah starts calling God's people Sodom and Gomorrah which he doesn't use those terms unless they really get to that point and they're part of the great Babylon they become part of the Babylon as I mentioned last time they become part of the great and abominable church because they end up fighting against Zion they were not ready for the new things that the Lord is going to do Visions of glory I'm sorry these page numbers are not here because I don't have the typeset manuscript I only have through Terry Pontius' kindness, I have just the pre-publication manuscript, so there are no page numbers that apply that, that can give you. So you have to just go there and do word searches or something. All the powers of Babylon had been silenced. This is when Zion, Zion is being established. News, television, pornography, which he sees will become very prominent, prevalent. Movies, government, political intrigue, all that stuff is going on now. International politicking, local and international corruption, buying and selling, social status, wealth, poverty, sickness, death. In other words, a nice description of Babylon similar to that of the book of Revelation. It was all gone. Nothing of it remained in Zion, though it still percolated in what remained of it in the world. So Zion is, you know the destruction is, happens in one hour, so to speak, but there may still be pockets of it here and there trying to survive, clinging to the old economy. The people of Zion listened only to the voice of the Lord. In that place, in Zion, amongst we few blessed and gathered, he was truly Lord of Lords and King of Kings, long before the global millennium actually began and before his return, or before his return in glory, because he was there individually in the temple. By this time, I thought over and over, what a wonder is mankind how beautiful in face and form, how godlike in attribute. We never heard of a dissenting or angry word. There was no selfishness or laziness, greed or self-promotion. There was no arrogance, false pride or superiority, as there is in a Babylon society. It's the survival of the fittest. We were all remade into the image of our God. Now this is a concept that's so powerful in Isaiah that every time you ascend a level, you are recreated closer to the image and likeness of God. And here it is, he sees it. I don't think anybody ever came up with these concepts until they appeared in my books. But because of the seven levels in Isaiah that I discovered, every time you go through a descent phase and you are tested and, and you are deconstructed and reconstructed on a higher spiritual level, spiritually, then you are remade closer to the image and likeness of God each time. But eventually there comes a plateau. It says, equal in our worth, beauty, and refinements. By the measure of mankind before this time, we were wealthier than any king because we had all things we desired. Whether it was on earth or in heaven, all things were subject to our command, even (coughs) heavenly things. We luxuriated in our lives. All of those things that had polluted our mortal world for so long were gone, extinct. Goodbye to the telestial. After the living waters had healed the soil and the people, this is another excerpt, then came the times I referred to earlier, where there was no need for business, stores, utilities, manufacturing, commerce, industry, money, banks, borrowing or lending, or most of any other convention of present mortality. So what an amazing society will be, the terrestrial society, or the millennial society, or the paradisical society. What an amazing thing to even conceive of that we might actually live in such a place. So wouldn't it be worth paying any price for that? I mean, why dilly-dally in our decision while we're still trying to hang on to our lesser law and think it's going to benefit us. The millennial state freed us from all these entrapments of Babylon. Entrapments! Because they keep you bound, they keep you in bondage. Everything we needed was provided from the power of God that was initially only present in Zion and later in the cities of Zion. We were free to work exclusively for God and that is exactly what we did. And it was the greatest of all forms of living. Beautiful. I mean, where else do you read this kind of thing? I mean, isn't this in the supreme gift of God to our generation? Visions of glory. Every time you read it, there's way more to learn and to understand. It's one of those kind of books. There was no money system and gold and silver and precious stones had only value as adornments for temples, churches, works of art, as pavement for streets. We had all things in common because we had all things we needed. We were all wealthy beyond what any mortal king had been, and none of it mattered to us. A dump truck full of diamonds would have been spread on wet concrete as an adornment of Zion before it appeared on someone's finger or neck. Because people were beautiful, they didn't need to adorn themselves to be more beautiful. The concept of ownership and acquisition of things as part of our identity slipped from our social paradigm. That's very much part of our identity. What kind of house do you live in? How much is in your wallet? What's your car like An old model like mine Or Mine works really great It's a 98 Honda Accord (laughs) Okay Transitioning from Babylon to Zion Doctrine and Covenants Chapter 1 The preface to the Doctrine and Covenants So it's a very important One of the very important sections Most important in the Doctrine and Covenants Prepare ye, prepare ye For that which is to come Well it's been coming a long time So You know Why should I do something different now Right and what kind of preparation should we be doing anyway? Remember the, the wise virgins? Well, what was it about their preparations? Remember? They were not deceived by the craftiness of men. They had the Holy Spirit for their guide. They had searched the scriptures diligently for the truth. And then they had oil in their lamps. They had gone to the merchants and bought the oil. So they had physical preparedness as well that's alluded to there. And anyway, how can you expect to survive if you don't keep a law? Preparedness It's a law How do you expect the blessings of surviving Into the millennial age When you haven't kept the law of preparedness For the Lord is nigh Well he's been nigh for 2,000 years Paul started saying that Right Yes but that's a nice rationale You know Nice excuse for you not to prepare And the anger of the Lord is kindled In the book of Isaiah The anger is the king of Assyria The antichrist he personifies God's anger. God is not an angry God, but he uses the king of Assyria as an instrument of destruction to punish the wicked. So it's, it's very subtle. His sword is the same thing. In the book of Isaiah, this sword is the king of Assyria, the, the instrument of destruction in the Lord's hand, that, who destroys the world with his military alliance. is bathed in heaven and shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. Chapter 24 and 25 and 26, they are talking about this the sword bathed in heaven. It shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth, and the arm of the Lord shall be revealed. In the book of Isaiah, again, the arm of the Lord is the end time servant who prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. God has two arms the Lord himself, the arm of salvation, and his servant who prepares the way before him, the arm of righteousness, who reestablishes righteousness on the earth and justice by God's definition, not by our self righteous definition. So he's going to be revealed. And then all hell breaks loose. That's when the whole thing is set in motion. The arm of the Lord shall be revealed, and the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, the servants of that day, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles of that day, shall be cut off. Cut off from what? From among the people. What people? The people of the covenant. Remember, we've read so many scriptures about that by now. The people of the covenant today, Who are they? Well, we are. For they have strayed from mine ordinances, have broken my everlasting covenant. When we change the ordinances, that's in the book of Isaiah chapter 24 also, then it nullifies the covenant. There is something that happens that just voids voids things. It's not according to the Lord's pattern, so then it does not of God. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, after the image of his own God whose image is in the likeness of the world, whose substance is that of an idol, which waxes old and perishes in Babylon, even Babylon the great which shall fall. What a beautiful, amazing Revelation scripture that is. It just captures the entire concept of Babylon. The likeness of the world. The substance of an idol. Man walking in his own way. Like in the book of Judges, every man started doing what was right in his own eyes. Or what Nephi says about People who interpret the scriptures—they think they know of themselves. They don't have to search and analyze what Jesus commands us to do. DnC seventy ninety seven. Now behold, if Zion do these things, she shall prosper. That is, keep the laws of God and His commandments, and spread herself and become very glorious. Isaiah also says that if they magnify the law, they will become illustrious, all throughout the earth, very great and very terrible. That all the nations of the earth shall honor her and say. Surely Zion is the city of our God. There is the city. idea, And surely Zion cannot fall. It can't fall. Babylon will fall. Neither will be moved out of her place. For God is there. And the hand of the Lord is there. In the book of Isaiah, the hand is, is the right hand of the Lord. The right hand man of the Lord is the servant who prepares the way before him. The hand of deliverance versus the hand of punishment, which is the king of Assyria, the left hand. And he has sworn by the power of his might to be her salvation and her high tower. To be her Jesus and her high tower because the name Jesus is salvation. In Isaiah the Lord is called and personifying salvation. Her high tower because there's going to be a temple erected there that will be the most glorious site in Zion. But it also symbolizes the Lord's protection over his people and his presence with them. Therefore verily saith the Lord that Zion rejoice. For this is Zion, the pure in heart. Therefore let Zion rejoice while all the wicked shall mourn. And that's the great reversal again. The pure in heart shall see God. Only the pure in heart can see God. who have revelations that w- where God manifests himself to them. And this is the most joyful thing for the Lord to manifest himself to you. For behold and lo, in other words, look out, vengeance cometh speedily upon the ungodly in one hour, as a whirlwind, which is destructive. And doesn't nuclear holocaust kind of resemble a whirlwind in some ways? And who shall escape it? The Lord's scourge shall pass over by day and by, na- by night and by day, and the report of it shall vex all people. That's from Isaiah 28, addressed to Ephraim. And the scourge, we're under condemnation because we've not received the greater things. And if we don't, will, the scourge will over, overtake us. And what is the scourge? Well, a nuclear holocaust would be a scourge. But in the book of Isaiah, the Antichrist is also the scourge. He personifies the scourge. He's the one who launches the dang holocaust. And the report of it shall vex all peoples because it's a worldwide destruction. And the pollutions go over the entire earth. It shall not be stayed until the Lord come. That's when the earth gradually gets healed over time, at the coming of the Lord. For the indignation of the Lord is kindled against their abominations and all their wicked works. Nevertheless, Zion shall escape if she observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her. All things. You know, you can go down the list and make a list of all the things. Have you ever done that? What the Lord has commanded? I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, and that's what he's expecting us to do. But if she observe not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her according to all her works with sore affliction, with pestilence, plague the sword, with vengeance, and the devouring fire well that, those are the punishments of Babylon the plagues of Babylon in other words, you'll be part of Babylon then if you haven't done what he's commanded you you're of the other side you'll be cut off from the people you're not of Zion, you're not of that city you're of Babylon and you won't even know it and you will not even know the way the Lord has prepared the way of escape that he's prepared for you you won't even be savvy to it because you chose not to keep the commandments of the Lord. DNC 105, a type for our day. They have not learned to be obedient to the things which are required of their hands, but are full of all manner of evil, and do not impart of their substance as becometh saints, or sanctified ones, to the poor and afflicted among them, and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. The law of the celestial kingdom. Yeah, but we're united in the gospel. Yes, according to the law of the terrestrial kingdom, you are. But that's not the law of the celestial kingdom, is it? And Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. Well, don't you want to know what that law is? And Don't you want to know? I mean, the scriptures are there. When was the last you read the Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, for example, about the school of the prophets? The principles of the law of the celestial kingdom, otherwise I cannot receive her unto myself they will have to go somewhere else The foolish virgins With his weeping and gnashing of teeth And my people must needs be chastened Until they learn obedience If it must needs be By the things which they suffer But there comes a kind of point And that's too bad Because the foolish virgins would simply too late The door had closed So they had to suffer more But a little suffering up front You know Can avoid a lot of this agony later DNC 103, 15 through 20. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion, going back to Jackson County and that whole land becoming the land of Zion again, and redeemed from enemies that occupy it, must needs come by power. And that power is the key word that tells us it's the day of power, which hasn't come yet. And look up the word power all through the scriptures, and you'll see that there is a day of power when the power of God comes down upon the saints and the covenant people of the Lord. After there's a great division and they're threatened with death, then the power of God. I'm telling you that Zion, the people of Zion, are going to be reduced to just to nothing almost. This, like Spencer sees, upon total reliance on the Lord only. So they end up in rags in Zion, they're given new clothing and so forth. But they're going to be reduced to nothing. They're going to be so persecuted. They're going to have to learn to become pure. And it can only be through God's divine intervention when we are reduced to just calling upon him day and night for deliverance. There's no other way except to go through that process. Therefore, I'll raise up into my people a man. That's, again, the servant in the book of Isaiah or the, the angel from the east in the book of Revelation or the servant who hires other servants in the allegory of Zenos. A man who shall lead them, like as Moses led the children of Israel. In Isaiah, he's a new Moses who leads the exodus of God's people. Him and the hundred and forty-four thousand in the book of Revelation all do that. For you are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham. It doesn't say the house of Israel, you see. we're speaking to a lot of these saints. You're the children of Israel, you're descendants of Ephraim that have come through the Gentiles. So you are a children of Israel, descendants, at least partially assimilated ones, and of the seed of Abraham, therefore, you must need to be led out of bondage by power. And with a stretched out arm, the arm of the Lord is that servant in Isaiah. And there's the power and bondage to what? To Babylon, to the oppression of the society, to financial bondage. The whole thing is a bondage. The celestial world is a virtual reality. It's a bondage. As your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. It's a time that hearts do faint. And many are fainting along the way, even right now having their membership removed from the church and all those kind of things for I say not unto you as I said to your fathers my angels shall go up before you but not my presence because they transgressed in the wilderness in the days of Moses but I say to you my angels shall go up before you well 144,000 of them right in different groups around the world and also my presence himself as well in the cloudy pillar and in time you shall possess the goodly land so you receive lands of inheritance like the ancient Israelites did when they came into the promised land and they were given permanent inheritances in the land of Israel according to their tribes and clans and families. So it will be in the millennial age. The elect of God will inherit the earth. d c 49 Before the great day of the Lord shall come Jacob shall flourish in the wilderness and the Laman shall blossom as the rose Actually, it's a mistranslation from the King James originally crocus, the first flower of spring and, and the Lamanites in the house of Israel are going to suddenly be born overnight and there they are in full bloom the next morning that's how the crocus is and, and the spring is symbolic of the dawning of the millennial age and so the Lamanites are going to blossom and the Jews too and the tent tribes are all going to blossom suddenly like that in the wilderness mind you, likely in the journey home for them Zion shall flourish upon the hills and rejoice upon the mountains And shall be assembled together to the place which I have appointed. Well, the new Jerusalem and also the stakes of Zion in the interim. But, you know, there's a call out too for the elect of God in this day and age of the children of Ephraim. Where they will be prepared to go out on their missions as the 144,000. They will be taught many things in the wilderness to empower them to be able to fulfill that mission. Isaiah 52, Zion Awake, arise, close yourself with power. We've read these scriptures before, but in different contexts. Now, awake and arise is like, like the virgins. They were all asleep. All ten of them were asleep, right? So there comes a time when they have to awaken up. Wake up. Wake up from your deep sleep, as, as Lehi said to Laman and Lemuel. And then I have a beautiful definition, awaking from sleep, from Alma. It's in the newsletter that I send out. Notifying you of the um, Zion conference in May So if you haven't subscribed to that newsletter yet Go to IsaiahExplained.com and, and sign up And you'll be kept informed But it's also a rebirth It's significant of a rebirth To a higher spiritual level For God's people to an elect level For translated beings to a translated level Clothe yourself with power There's the, It's in the day of power that's coming It's only coming when the elect of God are threatened with annihilation. It doesn't come under any other circumstance. Clothe yourself with power, O Zion. So even as Babylon is going down, Zion is rising up. Put on your robes of glory, O Jerusalem, holy city. Well, it's alluding to temple robes and so forth, but the temple robes themselves are symbolic of being clothed with glory, with your heavenly garment of glory. Like that angel whose glory just cover the entire earth, lit up the earth. Put on your robes of glory, O Jerusalem, holy city. No more shall the uncircumcised and defiled enter you. Because right now in Zion you have all kinds of people. They're just mingling with God's elect. And Zion is, Zion is being abused by and violated. Shake yourself free, rise from the dust. Resurrection, out of chaos, Rebirth out of, out of chaos, so to speak. Rebirth out of ruin. Recreation. Sit enthroned over Jerusalem, loose yourself enthroned from the dust to your throne, as Babylon goes from the throne to the dust. Loose yourself from the bands around your neck. These celestial bands, these bands of Babylon, these, this society, this economy, the, the whole oppressive system. O captive daughter of Zion. Thus said Jehovah, you were sold without price, because everything in Babylon costs, have you noticed? And you shall be redeemed without money, without any price at all, for free by the Lord's good grace. And then we have a little comment on, on um, Isaiah 52, a revelation through Joseph Smith, which is beautiful. What is meant by the command in Isaiah 52, da da da, da Put on those things of Zion and what people had Isaiah reference to. He had reference to those whom God should call... In the last days, we should hold the power of priesthood to bring again Zion. To bring again is a King James terminology. It means to restore Zion, to reconstitute Zion, to reorganize Zion. And those who hold the priesthood are members of the church. So stay with the program. Seek to attain that higher priesthood because there are different priesthoods and degrees within the priest, holy priesthood. There is the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood which we have not yet attained. And that is to reach the translated state. It's called the spirit and power of Elijah by Prophet Joseph Smith in teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. And the redemption of Israel, the redemption of the house of Israel, the reconstitution of the whole house of Israel, Judah's ten tribes and Lehi descendants, to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood which she, Zion, has a right to by lineage because of the special lineages that are in us Ephraimites the birthright lineage and also their lineage because they're natural branches of the twelve tribes of Israel also to return to that power which she had lost through apostasy what are we to understand by Zion loosing herself from the bands of her neck we understand that the scattered remnants that is of the house of Israel are exhorted to return to the Lord from whence they have fallen which if they do the promise of the Lord is that he will speak to them, will give them revelation to them. The bands of her neck are the curses of God upon her or the remnants of Israel in their scattered condition among the Gentiles, among us, among all the peoples of the world. And no more scattered people other than the Jews. Our whole society was engaged in expanding Zion. This is when Zion is beginning to be established. That's the time of loosening from the bands of the neck which meant that the lands around us had to prepare to become Zion, even the lands, the earth. Remember the analogy I drew between individuals and the collective society of God's people and the earth at large? The earth and the land. In the Aretz, in Hebrew means both earth and land. It's the same word. Earth is land, land is earth. As time advanced, word spread around the Americas and then around the world that in Zion there was peace, safety, and food, If you did not wish to be at war, that you had to pay whatever price it took to go to Zion and her cities. Because, as the prophet Joseph Smith said, all other peoples will be at war with one another. They will have to either flee to Zion or the Old Jerusalem. We no longer call this place Missouri. It is becoming known worldwide as Zion, the New Jerusalem, the city of the living God. As a result, every day people arrived at the gates of Zion. We could not admit them until they were prepared. So preparation, you know, if you prepare and you need not fear, preparation starts when? Now. It should be ongoing among us. In fact, they were not able to enter because of the pillars of fire guarding Zion. Our Savior visited us in the Temple of Zion, and, and resurrected and translated beings walked the streets of Zion. Notables of past generations were seen every day, and only the very pure could be there without being consumed by the pillars of fire. So it's a time to become pure for all of us, in our thoughts, in our words, and our actions. To become entirely pure before God, so we'll not be ashamed of anything we do, or say, or think. The journey to Zion. DNC 133. Let the cry go forth among all people, awake and arise. That's from the deep sleep that we've been in for so long, and go forth to meet the bridegroom. For behold, and lo, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. He can't come to a people that is not prepared to receive him. So we have to become a Zion people before he comes. Like the people of Enoch, which are the great type for our day. And there has to be an Enoch, and that's the servant, to prepare this Zion. Go out to meet him so that he feels welcome. If everybody's doing their own thing, not interested in that, then he can never come. Prepare yourselves for the great day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is that day of the destruction of the wicked and deliverance of the righteous. You see in the book of Isaiah and all through the Old Testament prophets. It's the day that John the Revelator is seeing in vision. He was in vision on the Lord's day, it says. Not the Sabbath, but that day, great day of the Lord, that end time day of the Lord. He's there seeing it all in vision. And he puts it all down in symbology. Watch therefore ye know neither the day nor the hour, Let them therefore who are among the Gentiles flee unto Zion. That's us. And let them who be of Judah flee unto Jerusalem, unto the mountains of the Lord's house. Now that's interesting because it seems like they have a call out the same as we do, into the mountains. That's also alluded to in Matthew 24, where Jesus says, talking about the time of his coming, go into, flee into the mountains. And that's where Israel dwelt in the wilderness, you know, before they inherited the promised land. So there's a type already. Go ye out from among the nations, even from Babylon. So Babylon is the nations; It's the whole world from the midst of wickedness, which is spiritual Babylon. But verily, thus saith the Lord, let not your flight be in haste, but let all things be prepared before you. And he that goeth, let him not look back, lest sudden destruction shall come upon him." Why would he look back? Maybe because, like Rachel, she had this idol that she clung to. And and when they came out of, you know, from Damascus into the Promised Land, Jacob brought, she brought this idol with her. They still have attachment to something that they left behind. Don't even think about it at that point. It's not worth it. Leave all your things, as Spencer calls them, behind you. I said, let not your flight be in haste because it's an orderly exodus out of Babylon led by the priesthood, led by members of the 144,000 who have power over the elements. There's no panic. There's no running around in circles and chicken without a head on. It's all done in an orderly way. And that's how you know that's it's of God. There's protection there. Let all things be prepared before you, before this whole scenario happens. 48 Isaiah. Go forth out of Babylon, flee from Chaldea. Make this announcement with resounding voice. Broadcast it to the end of the earth. Now the voice, there's two voices in the book of Isaiah. One is the servant. He's the Lord's voice to his people in that day. And then there's also the king of Assyria, the Antichrist. He's the voice of the wicked. He's kind of like Hitler, railing against the covenant people of the Lord, and bringing to him and rallying all the wicked of the earth to his standard so he's the one that wakes up the virgins the ten virgins broadcast it to the end of the earth but it'll be a worldwide thing it'll be announced so you absolutely know what's going on say Jehovah has redeemed his servant Jacob he's paid for their transgressions all they need to do is repent they thirsted not when he led them through arid places that happened under Moses the trek through the wilderness the exodus out of Egypt, coming through the wilderness to inherit the promised land, will repeat itself. He caused water to flow for them from the rock. And you know, if you've been reading up on the new location of it's now the accepted one, practically for the Sinai wilderness is not in Sinai; it's in in the northwest Arabian Peninsula, where there is this rock and uh, evidence of water erosion all around it. And and there's the 12 pillars and, the, and so forth. And all the artifacts of the house of Israel are still there. He cleaved the rock and the water gushed out. And, and there's that big rock there that Moses cleaved. And it's, he's going to do it again. Don't worry, there'll be water out there. Isaiah 51. The ransom of the Lord shall return. Let them come singing to Zion, their heads crowned with everlasting joy. Let them obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing flee away. These return parties... To Zion or to stakes of Zion they 're a joyful thing they sing hymns as they go. Isaiah likens it to the pilgrimages anciently to Jerusalem once or twice a year. people would come from all over the land of Israel in pilgrimages to Zion or to Jerusalem and it was a, it was a wonderful thing to participate in it. It was kind of re- rehearsing the time of the coming out of Egypt. there was a lot of things it was a programming for life 's journey and the joy that being a part of this togetherness of the, the most righteous of the saints would do that and they would come to Zion and there would be this collective identity with them a beautiful thing and so it will be these parties led by the 144,000 coming out of all the world to Zion singing their heads crowned with everlasting joy because they paid the price to be there and to participate in it patience of glory here in a little part of Zion our hearts were changing Our bodies were changing. Our spiritual IQ was changing. We still had a fullness of the priesthood, as we first discovered just before the great conference. That was only among a few, though. He and another person that he knew were aware that they were translated. And that is what the fullness of the priesthood is. We were learning every day what that meant, because they had to learn to exercise the gifts of being translated. It took us years to understand that we had to evolve into Zion, not just march to it. It was a process. It involves stripping away everything belonging to the world and replacing it with total faith in God. We had to learn that we did not need anything from the telestial world. All we needed was complete faith in Christ. Really? But that's such a non-material quantity, right? Well, that's exactly what it is. It's a spiritual quantity. It requires huge faith to exercise faith in something like that. Just faith in Jesus Christ. We had to learn that we did not need anything from the telestial world. It was a very hard transition to make, especially when you're so immersed and indoctrinated and brainwashed with the things of this world. And you're born into it. You have no choice. You're indoctrinated from an, into a time of your little baby. It's this pattern of life, this current paradigm. What else are you t- to imagine? One of the reasons our journey to Zion took so many years. Really, it took many years? Well, Israel wanted 40 years in the wilderness so how many years Something like this would take As long as it takes Because you go into A different time zone If need be Until you get it And you can go into a, Into a terrestrial time zone Or even into a Celestial time zone Some of them do Or you can stay In your lateral time zone Or even worse The Lord can make time Whatever he wants So for some It will take many years Not to cover the distance Where it's only just From here to there but to evolve spiritually so that we could be worthy to be in Zion when we actually arrived there. Doesn't that, doesn't that give you amazing ideas about how this process works? I mean, where else do you get this information that's so cohesive with all that the scriptures teach, but just kind of give you this nuance and that insight and this understanding and this perspective? This is such an enriching manuscript, such an enriching book. I thank God for it. There were other things we had to learn before we arrived in Zion. If we had fully understood what we had, we could just have travel design in a heartbeat by the power of God. In other words, all, you know, potentially it's all there. And if you would just know it and how to exercise and were that in tune, boom, you're there. But knowledge was not revealed to us because we had to walk there in the process, be stripped of everything we had except a few rags of clothing before we learned to rely totally upon God and to use his priesthood to provide things We'd always previously relied upon society for and hard work to provide the law by the sweat of your brow had been amended, but it would take us years to grow into that sweet knowledge. Wow! And why is that so hard? You know, it's the same process with learning Isaiah. To understand Isaiah, is not just learning these truths, these amazing truths of God that are so enriching and empowering and liberating. You have to unlearn so much else that you've been taught about Isaiah or about the scriptures or precepts of men they're everywhere unlearning is a huge part of this process it's half of the equation even for us the first citizens of Zion this was our journey a systematic stripping away of everything we possessed this is the third time he mentions it stripping everything we thought we needed to survive it was this process which had purified us and taught us how magnificent life is with total confidence in our loving God Imagine people born into a millennial society they have none of these trappings that they have to go through to dispossess themselves of the things of Babylon. Their whole mindset is different than the one we have inherited. We have so much more to work through, to labor through. Well, that's not fair, is it? Yes, it is. If you knew the whole program, you would, like Lehi, praise God for his amazing wisdom and his amazing goodness and mercy and grace. It was this process which had purified us and taught us how magnificent life is with total confidence in our loving God. This was the only way to learn this exalting form of purity. And purity is indeed an exalting thing. Those whom we found ready to join us, the very elect of God, had submitted to this purifying process already during the process of their lives. So in other words, the 144,000 being sent out to bring God's people of the house of Israel back into Zion to restore the tribes of Israel basically among them there were the very elect who had already because they were not into Babylon they lived in probably small ethnic communities and their very pure lives maybe some of them were already living terrestrial lives so they had already submitted this process and we brought them to Zion singing songs of everlasting joy in fact he says they brought them right through the portals boom they were there in an instant they didn't need to do the journey, the walk, the long walk. Okay, we'll stop there, and we'll have a few minutes of uh, break. Thank you. Okay, so um, in the Book of Acts, Peter coined this term, the times of refreshing. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. It's kind of like he knows about the day of the Lord and, and the coming of the Lord so it's from the Lord's presence himself that this happens because he's the one that regenerates us. And we see that from visions of glory where the fruits of the tree of life help regenerate and the leaves help heal and so forth. And there's the waters of life change everything into the millennial format, as he calls it. So it's, it's a transformation to a terrestrial glory, and it happens in our persons, in our bodies, as Spencer talks about. So everything that Spencer talks about, I've n- I found not a single thing that contradicts any scripture at all. And it's the time of the restoration of the House of Israel, the establishment of Zion. And there are those like the 144,000 and the servant who leads them, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, for Jerusalem's sake I will not remain still. These are the watchmen of Zion in the book of Isaiah. Till her righteousness shines like a light, her salvation is a flaming torch. The nation shall behold your righteousness and all their rulers your glory. You shall be called by a new name conferred by the mouth of the Lord. And as you know, a new name in the book of Isaiah is given when a person or community or collective ascends to a higher level a higher spiritual level they receive a new commission and a new name every time they ascend a level you can see 45 shall be called the new Jerusalem and land of peace a city of refuge a place of safety for the saints of the most high God the saints of the most high God would be the father which implies there are less high gods right? and for the sanctified ones in other words the elect those who made sure they're calling election not just saints in name as currently and that in in 1st Nephi 14 happens after this great division on the one hand and on the other among those who harden their hearts or those who repent and after that we're not called Gentiles anymore we're just simply called saints and as it it is also in, in visions of glory and the glory of the Lord shall be there in other words indicating his presence and the terror of the Lord shall also be there, inasmuch that the wicked will not come into it, it shall be called Zion. Well, Spencer tells us that they couldn't get in there. The pillars of light kept them out, till they were so pure that they could dwell there. Inasmuch that the wicked will not come into it, it shall be called Zion. It shall come to pass among the wicked that every man that will not take his sword against his neighbor must flee to Zion for safety. And there shall be gathered into it out of every nation under heaven. Well, the twelve tribes come out of every nation out of heaven. They're scattered throughout the earth. And it shall be the only people that shall not be at war with one another. And it shall be said among the wicked, Let us not go up to battle against Zion, because they're in battle against everybody else. For the inhabitants of Zion are terrible, wherefore we cannot stand. It shall come to pass that the righteous shall be gathered out from among all nations, and shall come to Zion singing with songs of everlasting joy. The righteous meaning the elect, the elect of God. He will send his angels, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, Jesus says in Matthew 24. So these righteous are the people who reconstitute the 12 tribes of Israel in the New Jerusalem, in the temple with its 12 temples, and its 12 gates, and so forth. Visions of glory. People in Zion no longer aged unless they were a child. The children would mature until they were approximately 30, and then become ageless. There was no infirmity, no disease, no sickness, no threatening injuries and virtually no pain. Isaiah also says these things. That's why I tell you, Isaiah is such a key to when more scriptures come forth and things like this come forth, you immediately understand it because you already know it from Isaiah. But then in these new revelations, there is so much more given you that supplements what you already know. And these truths of God sustain one another. They never contradict each other. But there was a difference between young and and the old that we could see because our eyes were open to spiritual things. And Isaiah also says that. The veil of death is done away. Mortality doesn't exist anymore. And so you can see people who they really are with God's eyes, so to speak. And because of the constant presence of the Holy Ghost, an older person possessed a look of wisdom, knowledge, and experience. They spoke differently and possessed knowledge of how to use the priesthood that younger people did not. And so they had to wade through these end times, and so they were more experienced and wiser than the people, who didn't have to wade through it. They had greater experience, faith, and greater wisdom. We all looked the same age over time, but there was a difference that came with age which was revered, honored, and sought after. And it's something, you know, that I grew up in New Zealand, and uh, we honored the older generation. I attached myself to various old men, and I would just... <laughs> go there and just tap with them and learn from them. They, had, they taught me all these things that could never learn from anybody else. I suppose it will be something like that. These people who, who had that greater experience would be sought after and quizzed for things that they had learned from dealing with the things of our day and age currently. So the times of refreshing is not just for us individuals, our bodies and spirits, but also the land. Self, everything regenerates. Wilderness and arid lands shall be jubilant; the desert shall rejoice, and so it blossoms like the crocus. Joyously, it shall break out in flower, singing with delight. It shall be endowed with the glory of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, the glory of Jehovah and the splendor of our God. They shall see there. It's almost like a page out of Visions of Glory, or, or Visions of Glory is a page out of Isaiah 51. Jehovah is comforting Zion, bringing solace to all her ruins. This whole ruinous wasteland is going to be regenerated and reconstituted. He's making her wilderness like Eden, her desert is the Garden of Jehovah. This is the new paradise in the book of Isaiah. All the old things that existed in the past or that happened in the past were types and shadows of an end-time repeat of history. Joyful rejoicing takes place there, thanksgiving with the voice of song. You know, I have to say that people who've seen these things, like Spencer they say that joy doesn't just fade over time it's always fresh and new it stays with you it's like the new and everlasting covenant is new because it keeps renewing you so it never becomes old the joy never becomes old the scenery never becomes old the relationships it's all refreshed constantly continuing to be so and the joy and rejoicing takes place continuously praising God As the living waters changed everything within the walls of Zion, visions of glory, the city began to glow with an internal glory. Buildings glowed, streets glowed, sidewalks, lawns, and flowers glowed. The most beautiful sight of all was the mighty temple there. The light of the whole city seemed to be drawn towards the temple and then thrust upward above the temple where it punctured the sky like a mighty pillar of fire and extended beyond the vision of man into the heavens. To those who knew not why these things were happening, or who militated against her Zion was truly as terrible as an army with banners as foreseen by Isaiah yet she was also peaceful as a dove while it was not foreseen by Isaiah that's an army with banners that's actually from the song of songs Solomon wrote but it's reiterated in the Doctrine and Covenants in several sections i made the references here DNC and c 514 105.31 and 109.73 talks about Zion being terrible as an army with banners. Faces of glory again. To see Zion arise in her beauty, this divinely beautiful city rising up out of this wasteland, while America becomes a wasteland through because of the destruction of this land that would be so horrendous, was something prophets have seen a vision and yearned for. For I was there watching it in person. This was the day of days for this earth, And I could practically feel the earth rejoicing beneath my feet. Well, that's what Isaiah does, in fact, predict. The changes in the earth were amazing to behold. It was changing back into something like the Garden of Eden. And that's what we just read from Isaiah. The earth no longer withheld her abundance. It planted and grew rapidly with perfect splendor. It produced the most beautiful fruit and crops man has ever harvested. Ever since the first day that we had channeled the living water to the crops, living water that came out from under the temple, and that kept multiplying, every plant and tree was lush and rich with fruit. We completely lost the desire to kill or eat meat, which Isaiah also says. I don't recall being commanded to stop eating meat, we just no longer desired it. It actually felt repugnant to eat flesh. The animals, too, were becoming millennial and lived in harmony in Zion. So there are animals. Cool. We didn't have any lions in Zion, but they truly would have lain down with the lamb and eaten grass like the ox. Not straw. I don't know that the animal a lion would eat straw, but maybe a mistranslation. But of all the changes in Zion, the most profound and beautiful changes occurred in mankind. What I saw in this vision led me to marvel that we have more capacity than any human mind can imagine. Well else how else can we become gods? It must be there. Now a gene somewhere, a god gene. As we changed into the millennial form, we became godlike almost in attribute. Our bodies changed. We learned how to exercise our stewardships over them. Everyone was beautiful, natural, and glorious. We looked like gods and goddesses. Even the children and teens were perfectly embodying an attribute. All of the unrefined and ungodly attributes of the natural man were completely gone, and only purity, power, beauty, and tremendous wisdom remained. Even everybody will be beautiful? Yes, everybody in that place will be beautiful No exceptions The Lord's coming to Zion In Isaiah there's a perpetual period Before the Lord's coming Jehovah has made proclamation to the end of the earth Tell the daughter of Zion, see your salvation comes That's the same great announcement that comes When the servant comes upon the scene And wakes up everybody See your salvation comes His reward with him His work preceding him His work is the great and marvelous work the restoration of the house of Israel by definition in the book of Mormon and in Isaiah and his reward with him because he's going to come and reward that's the reward of righteousness and or the reward of wickedness one or the other at the time that he comes and there he's called salvation because he personifies salvation he is salvation to come unto Christ means to come unto salvation there is no other salvation out there they shall be called the holy people the redeemed of Jehovah, and you shall be known as in demand, a city never deserted. It will be a constant stream of pilgrims all year long, from all around the world, streaming into Zion and out of Zion, all through the millennial age. Isaiah thirty three, your eyes shall behold the king in his glory, and his coming in glory, and view the expanse of the earth. Well if you're caught up to heaven to meet him, then you can look down upon the earth and view the expanse of the earth. It's like we see it from space. You shall recount in your mind the terror, the current terror, or the terror of the end time, when oppressive world powers take over, as they did in communism, in Hitler's Germany. Where are those who conducted the census? Because everything is taxed. Where are those who levied the tax? Have you noticed that this current government is just taking ownership of everything and starting to do this very process? Where are the ones who appraised the towers? Everything is, you know, measured to what tax they can get out of the people. The insular people are not to be seen, who are also imposing this, their system on us, or will be, a nation of incomprehensible speech. The, in other words, the invaders of the Promised Land, the invaders of America, whose babbling tongue was unintelligible. Well, because they're Eastern, Eastern Europeans, aspensuses, or Asians. So, yeah, they would sound like Babbling. And this is also a warning in chapter 28 of Isaiah where it says that you're sticking with this line upon line precept upon precept principle you need to move beyond the milk to the meat. You need to move to revelation and to personal journey with God. No, you're sticking with the line upon line precept precept, principle. That's not going to work for you. That's not going to save you. So he's going to send these people of incomprehensible speech to you. He sent you prophets you wouldn't listen to them. And so now he's going to send foreigners. So you'll have to listen. He'll make you listen. And they'll put these tax on you and put you in bondage like the Egyptians did the Israelites. So are these word links in the book of Isaiah you have to consider. That's why that book, New Translation within, with the Comprehensive Concordance is valuable because you look up in the concordance and then you can see how Isaiah uses different terms in different contexts But they're all linked, they're word-links that tie the whole book together into this network of ideas. Behold, Zion, the city of our solemn assemblies, let your eyes rest upon Jerusalem, the abode of peace, an immovable tent, whose stake shall never be uprooted, nor any of its cords severed. And the peace of that day was unimaginable in our society. We cannot even imagine it. It's a peace that you can feel to the inmost of your bones, to every cell of your body as well as your spirit. None who reside there shall say, I am ill. There it is. The people who inhabit it shall be forgiven their iniquities, because it is there's iniquities and sins that cause covenant curses, which cause illness and so forth. And then this beautiful sign scripture from the book of Isaiah. Arise, shine, your light has dawned. This is the dawning of the millennial age. It hasn't happened yet. It happens when the servant comes, because he is the light. Chapter 42 and 49 of Isaiah The Lord appoints him as a light to the Gentiles He's a person Whereas the king of Assyria on the other hand Personifies darkness Assyrian personifies light And we too personify light To the degree that we are righteous and holy and pure and so forth We personify Imbued with truth We personify God's light But we can't assume that we do But the Lord appoints him as a light When he's called and he rises And the Lord appoints him his mission He calls him his light I appoint you to be as a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. The glory of Jehovah has risen upon you. At the new Jerusalem and its stakes, there will be clouds of glory, and, and they will indicate the Lord's presence with his people. Although darkness covers the earth, a thick mist the peoples, upon you Jehovah will shine, over you his glory shall be visible. So you have the Zion on the one hand and stakes, and on the other you have the rest of the world in darkness but darkness is also the the king of Assyria who personifies darkness. So the servant speaks light and truth and the king of Assyria speaks words of darkness and rallies his people with dark words like Hitler did. And it's a chaos motif as is a thick mist. These are chaos motifs. All they can do is destroy. They cannot uh, regenerate. They cannot recreate. They they don't create. They just destroy. Upon you, Jehovah will shine over you his glory shall be visible. Well, at the temple, on the temples of God in that day, nations will come to your light, their kings to the brightness of your dawn. And who are these kings? Well, they are these 144,000 kings and queens of the Gentiles who bring groups of the house of Israel to Zion. So it's amazing how visions of glory just and Isaiah are just like this. That's why Spencer's Favorite book of mine is the Apocalyptic Commentary by Isaiah. He's read Isaiah Decoded, and he loves them. He's reading my books. Lift up your eyes and look about you, have all assembled to come to you. Your sons shall arrive from afar, your daughters shall return to your side. Because these kings and queens, or the Gentiles, I should say, bring the house of Israel, bring the sons and daughters. Now these sons and daughters is a term that defines God's elect in the book of Isaiah the sons and daughters of the house of Israel. They bring the elect of God from afar, from far countries, to your side, to Zion, and it stakes. Then when you see it, your face will light up, your heart will swell with awe. The multitude of the sea shall resort to you, a host of nations shall enter you. They come from across the sea, and the sea in itself is symbolic of a sea of people. You know, it's hard to conceive of a time of joy Until you've gone through misery and descent. And when those, it was like, you know, when the Second World War ended, the jubilation was incredible. You you couldn't describe it. People's hearts were so filled with ecstasy and joy, they couldn't contain it. They were shouting. It was crazy. It was wild. And and only when you've been through years of, of that kind of thing do you. Can you appreciate even an ounce of freedom when the when the end finally comes? It's really over now. It's gone. Wow! A myriad of camels will cover your land. The dromedaries are F. Well, they're actually dromedaries and camels, or whether they're you know these terms that represent vehicles. We'll see. All from Sheba will come. Sheba was where the Queen of Sheba lived down in Yemen bearing gold and frankincense, but these are just types of places today. Could be, could be Asia, who knows, South America. Bearing gold and frankincense for the embellishment of Zion, for the beautification of the city of Zion, and heralding the praises of Jehovah at their deliverance from the celestial world. Remember that those who make it finally to Zion are those who've made the journey, right? The spiritual journey as well as the physical all Kedah's flocks will gather to you. The rams of Neboet will serve you. They shall be accepted as offerings on my altar. And thus will I make glorious my house of glory. So the temple will be made glorious by these offerings. And who are these offerings? Well, these rams of Nebaioth and the flocks. Yeah, but who do they represent? The animal sacrifices are just symbolic of those whom the 144,000 bring to Zion. They bring the sons and daughters of the house of Israel to Zion, the elect of God, and that's who these rams of Nebayad are. These are kosher animals signifying covenant people of God. They will serve him. These are the acceptable offerings that the 144,000 bring. Who are these aloft like clouds, flying as doves to their portals? From the isles they are gathering to me, the ships of Tarshish in the lead, to bring back your children from afar, with them their silver and gold, to Jehovah Omnipotent, your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has made you illustrious. You know, I know of no more glorious descriptions of that latter-day Zion than, than visions of glory has. And you can say, well, these, you know, these are airplanes. Well, yes, maybe. And you saw you know, Operation Magic Carpet in the 1950s, when the Jews from Yemen came and were flown in by the Jewish National Fund into Israel and that was kind of like flying his doves through their portals or you can say you know these are these are real portals and like Spencer sees they, they come and design through the portals the elect directly foreigners will rebuild your walls their kings will minister to you well foreigners are those Gentiles us the kings and queens of the Gentiles the 144,000 will minister to you well of course they're going to minister the gospel that's that's how they got you there in the first place. They preach the gospel to you spiritually until you are on an elect level and then to bring you out physically to Zion. They will help build the city. I guess because among the Gentiles you have you know, more knowledge of technology, but then the terrestrial technology that some of them have that Spencer sees will also supersede our current technology by far. Though I struck you in anger, I will gladly show you mercy. The anger, of course, as I mentioned, is the king of Assyria who personifies God's anger. And he struck us in anger because of our failure to repent. Your gates shall always remain open. They shall not be shut day or night that a host of nations may be brought to you and their kings escorted in. The nation or kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. There are some nations out there that will not come to Zion in pilgrimages. Such nations shall be utterly ruined until they become extinct too. No celestials survive into the millennial age. It's only for celestials and terrestrial people. And if terrestrial people will not serve, then they too must go. The splendor of Lebanon shall become yours, Cyprus's pines the first together to beautify the sanct- of my site of my sanctuary, to make glorious the place of my feet, where the Lord himself dwells, as Spencer tells us. The sons of those who have tormented you, your erstwhile enemies, and Spencer also sees that. He sees how the foreign armies, many of them desert and actually become want to become part of Zion in the end. Because some of them too are House of Israel, lineages. They will come bound before you. All who reviled you will fall prostrate at your feet. They will call you the city of Jehovah, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Although you have been forsaken and abhorred, with none passing through your land. And think of the reservations where the Native Americans live. Or the other places, forsaken places of the world where these Ethnic communities of God's people had to go just to survive and stay alive. Places nobody wanted. Although you have been forsaken and abhorred with none passing through your land, yet I will make you an everlasting pride, the joy of generation after generation. And that is the beauty of seeing the potential in a people or in a person that which isn't there yet. But as a child of God or as a people of God, you can see what they would transform into the kind of descriptions that Spencer is telling us, how we become so godlike and so beautiful, all of us, including those who are now forsaken and abhorred. You think that people describe in very unkind terms today. You will suck the milk of the nations, suckling at the breasts of kings, the 144,000 kings who are high priests, saviors on Mount Zion, servants of the Most High God, spiritual kings and queens. Then shall you know that I, Jehovah, am your savior that your Redeemer is the valiant one of Jacob. So we have a job to do, and we better start preparing for it, or well, it's not going to happen. In place of copper, I will bring gold. In place of iron, silver. In place of wood, I will bring <coughs> copper. In place of stones, iron. In other words, we're going from a telos glory to a terrestrial glory. Everything is more beautiful, more precious. But it also hints at the refining processes that we have to go through spiritually. We have to be refined as gold and silver tried in the fire. To be part of that society. I will make peace your rulers, righteousness your oppressors, because our rulers thus far have been oppressors. It's in parallel here, see, and it's not in this parallel. And righteousness brings peace. And that will be the order of the day. A millennial society. Tyranny shall no more be heard of in your land as it will be in his currently, nor dispossession or disaster within your borders as an everyday occurrence now. You will regard salvation as your walls and homage as your gates. Remember, salvation is the Lord himself. He's present. No longer shall the sun be your light by day, the current sun, or the brightness of the moon, your illumination at night. Jehovah will be your everlasting light and your God, your radiant glory. So and that's what Spencer sees. You see that the the Lord is the one who gives light to Zion. And the light spreads from from Zion to all the world eventually. Your sun shall set no more nor your moon wane to you Jehovah shall be an endless light when your days of mourning are fulfilled you mean we have to go through the days of mourning then do we well yes you have to go through the descent in order to go through the ascent we have to go through ruin and humiliation and persecution and um, punishments and so forth and disinheritance before there is salvation and exaltation rebirth and deliverance your entire people shall be righteous In Zion that is They shall inherit the earth forever They are the branch I have planted The work of my hands in which I am glorified So here we have a couple of branches of the house of Israel In chapter 19 of Isaiah A series called the work of his hands Well there are three natural branches That are mentioned there Egypt my people And Israel my inheritance And so we have an allusion to that Here as well The least of them shall become a clan, the youngest a mighty nation. I, Jehovah, will hasten it in its time. Now, that is the hastening of the work. That is the true hastening of the work. It is the restoration. By definition, the work in the Scriptures, in Isaiah, and in the Book of Mormon, by definition, the work is the restoration of the house of Israel. So the hastening of the work that's spoken of in the Scriptures is when the Lord restores the house of Israel that is his proper definition Isaiah 2, 2-3-4 two, in the latter days now it's which means the end time at the end of days but we say well the latter days so we say well from the time of Joseph Smith it's the latter days or from the time of Paul he says it's the latter no it's not it's a specific time period when the prophecies of Isaiah will be fulfilled and it's the end time not now not the time of Joseph Smith in the latter day, the mountain of the Jehovah's house shall become established as the head of the mountains. The King James translates the to tops of the top of the mountains. Well, the word is rosh. It's not piskah. Pisgah means top, like in the mountain range. It's rosh. Rosh means head. It's a literal term for head. And Israel was promised in the Sinai covenant that it would become the head of the nations, or the chief, or head of the nations. So it's a covenant blessing. It happened in the time of David and Solomon when Israel became the head of the nations in that day In Israel's golden age But has not happened since then But will happen again in the millennial age Israel will become the head of the nations Which in Isaiah Mountains is a metaphor for nations Isaiah establishes that in two different places Using synonymous parallels Which we've discussed at other times It shall be preeminent among the hills Or other nations, lesser nations And all nations will flow to it And we say, well, you know, that's here in Utah. And these are the tops of the mountains. And people come here at conference time. And all of the members of the church have come out of the nations of Europe, and da da da. Yeah, all true, maybe all foreshadowings in some small degree, but it's not this scenario. It's not the scenario Isaiah is talking about. Isaiah is an end time scenario, and you can't just manipulate it the way you want. Sorry, but he has his own definitions and his own context, and it's all tied together with word links and so forth. You can't just make hay and expect, you know, that you're, you're teaching or interpreting Isaiah correctly. Many peoples or nations shall go saying, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob. Well, where will that be? Well, in the New Jerusalem, of course. And that's when people go up on these pilgrimages every year. There'll be a constant stream of people all year round coming into the New Jerusalem on these pilgrimages in the millennial, all through the millennial age. That he may instruct us in his ways, may follow in his path, not our own. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and from Jerusalem the word of the Lord. When? During the millennial age. From these two centers of the world, spiritual centers the New Jerusalem and the Old Jerusalem. So it's the nation of Jehovah, where the temple is, the people of Jehovah. He will, he will judge between the nations, because that's the time that he comes to rule and arbitrate for many peoples. But the term judge is used also of the servants in Isaiah, as well as of the Lord God himself. So both will judge. No doubt, one will be in the Old Jerusalem and one will be in the New Jerusalem. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift the sword against nation, nor will they learn warfare anymore. So this is a war to end all wars, is the end time war. And that is the context of the scripture. It's the the millennial age, not the time of the Rocky Mountains and restoration, saints coming west. It's not. It's, It's the proper context is the millennial age and the coming of peoples and pilgrimages the old and new jerusalem's DNC 84 kind of sums it up the lord has brought again zion or restored zion there's so many ways that try to interpret what the hebrew says Shuv Zion means the restoration or the return or the reconstitution of zion As brought again zion the lord has redeemed his people israel through the ministrations of the gentiles through the administration of the kings and queens of the Gentiles, the Ephraimites, who have the birthright role, and their job is to do that. If we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. According to the election of grace, because it's all by God's grace, like Isaiah says, even all that we have accomplished, Lord, Thou hast done for us, which was brought to pass by the faith and covenant of their fathers. Well, there's two different kinds of fathers. There are the historical fathers, the prophets, fathers and progenitors of the house of Israel and they're also the kings and queens of the Gentiles in the end time who act as fathers to the house of Israel as Nephi says. They'll be a father to them and father is a technical term that means proxy saviors because without these proxy saviors the house of Israel is not going to be redeemed in the end time without us doing that for them. We are Joseph in Egypt who delivered his brethren and we're to do so again The Lord hath redeemed his people, and Satan is bound, and time is no longer. Well, telestial time is no longer. But there'll be a thousand years of terrestrial time, but not telestial time. And Satan is bound at the end of the millennium. And he's put into chains for the duration of the millennial age. And put into the pit, back into the pit. The Lord hath gathered all things in one. All dispensations of the world, all peoples of the world, all blessings that once were are reconstituted. All powers and things that existed anciently were lost because of transgression are going to be reconstituted and restored, all gathered together in one, in Zion. It be a society that has never existed before on the earth except among a small community, such as the people of Enoch. The Lord has brought down Zion from above, the people of Enoch, and others who joined them, such as people of Melchizedek, and possibly many others, Nephites and others, that we don't know about. The Lord hath brought up Zion from, from beneath. That's us. The Zion that we are to establish. The Zion is really never established among us Gentiles here in the West. It's established among the House of Israel by us. We help them to establish their Zion. The earth has travailed and brought forth her strength unlike now, and truth is established in her bowels, unlike now, and the heavens have smiled upon her, unlike now, and she is clothed with the glory of her God, for he stands in the midst of his people. So the, the Lord will be there, he will dwell in Zion, as the Lord says, as Isaiah says, and as Spencer, Spencer sees in Visions of Glory. And I think that's it. So, This concludes Lecture 22, End Time, Zion and Babylon. Be sure to visit isaiahexplained.com as well as isaiahinstitute.com to learn more about Isaiah with Dr. Abraham Gilioti.